Welcome to the show. I'm Damon Frank, and on today's panel, I'm excited to be joined today with my guest, who combined on this panel have over 100 years of sobriety. I'm pleased to be joined today by Jamie, Rich, and Steve. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Great to see everybody. And today in the Recovered Life panel, we're going to talk about tips on staying sober during the holidays. And there's so much great recovery uh, on this panel here. I'm just going to dive right in uh, to Jamie and ask her for her tips because this is a you know this is a tricky time, especially yeah. for people who are just in recovery or people that maybe have long-term recovery and are trying to stay sober. I got sober. Well, my sobriety date is in October, so. I was moving into the holidays and very, you know, just when I was still counting days of without a drink. And I found that I, I had to look after myself in ways when I was with family at the holidays. And I wasn't living anywhere near family, but we got together and my dad, who was, who was a fantastic bartender, said one of the first things my parents said to me is they decided what we'd all drink, that they'd be Bloody Mary. So it would look like we were all drinking the same thing, but I have a virgin Bloody Mary. And then my dad wanted to use the same glasses to make it look all the same. And I just said, no, 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 no. I'm gonna have this glass. I'm not picking up the wrong glass. So I had to look after myself in that way. And uh, it took a while for my mother to know that I wasn't gonna have just a sip. I just say, no, not a sip. But, uh, you know, her mother died of this disease and a lot of other people in her family. But I had to put my sobriety above everything else at those times. You know, what you're talking about is a lot of holiday traditions as well. So maybe people do, an, you know, a holiday toast on Christmas, mm -hmm. on New Year's. And there's a lot of pressure because it's not that you're saying no necessarily to the drink. You're saying no to the tradition, you know? So how did you deal with that? What were those feelings that you had at that time? And 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 and, and how did you deal with that? Well, you know, I was happy to have the, uh, the non-alcoholic Bloody Mary look like the same drink. It was kind of festive. And I was having my mocktail when everyone else was having a drink. So I wasn't, you know, but, and I love the holidays. So I'm really up for tradition, but even now, and I'm thinking, I'll have to get something soon. It's nice to have a little bubbly cider or something. Or here I have to watch out. I'm, I live in Ireland. And so when you go for a cider, it's not non-alcoholic. So, but, you know, get something, uh, some kind of fruit juice with bubbles in it to be a little festive. And, and that helps. Stephen, what's your thoughts on this? Um. I just try to keep it. I, I, some of the same principles I use every day. I try to keep it simple and maybe even more simple during the holidays. Um, you know, after being sober a little while, um, I think one of the things, one of the gifts is that I've learned that I don't have to do anything I don't want to do. I don't have to do anything I do, that doesn't make me feel good. Um, so, I hear a lot about people, you know, being wary of going home for the holidays or spending time with, with family. And I'm blessed with, uh, you know, my father's in recovery, uh, so that that part of the family is is simple. Um, but 
I don't, you know, if I just avoid situations where I'm not going to do well, I'm not the most, you know, alcohol was a social lubricant for me. Um, If I was in a work party situation, that would, that would be a dangerous situation for me. And these days I might avoid those type of, um, of situations. Uh, you know, with with COVID at hand, I think that we, uh, my particular issues are sort of buffered by, I can't do a lot of the things that would be risky behavior mm-hmm. for me. You know, the chances of me, although I was a very isolated drunk, um, the chances of me sitting at home at Christmas being tempted by a bottle are very remote at this point. First, I don't keep alcohol on hand. And also, it's just not part of that wouldn't feel festive to me. But a workplace or a friend's situation, um, you know, and I just try to keep sober people close right now. Um, I have sober people in my life and I try to keep that connection in the holidays in equal measure to the people who maybe don't. They may or may not have a drinking problem, but I find that it's really only truly sober people that are working some format of a program that understand who I am and and what I what I need. And, you know, if. And, you know, just to kind of bring it full circle, if if I didn't feel like going home or being around family was something I would, I would be safe in my sobriety, I simply would not do it. And yeah. um, I think that that, I, if there was anything I could tell a newcomer to sobriety was that this is your sobriety and you have to own it. And that's how you're going to stay safe. And if it, if if you miss going home for one year or two years because that jeopardizes your sobriety, well, maybe the third or fourth year will be a better, you know, you'll be alive for the third yes. or fourth year. That's great. That's great advice. And what I'm hearing from you is, you know, how to know your limits, Right. To really kind of and that's hard, I think, especially in early recovery is to actually know when you're when you're first sober, what are those limits? But, you know, if you listen to your gut, you kind of know I'm over my head here. You know, Rich, how do you how do you pick, you know, what is appropriate for you to do and what's not? And when you feel uncomfortable, how did you do that in early sobriety? I just. I I, ha, I have a firm understanding that to me I have I'm very mentally visual with pictures and icons and things and for example if this was a drink a beer you know a, bo- a kind of vodka or a mixed cocktail this is basically in my mind it's a stick of dynamite okay so. I have a, I have, I just have this, I fell into this visualization of this drink is a stick of dynamite. If I consume this first drink of dynamite, it's going to explode into something that's going to make one heck of a mess. And the other thing that, so that's my base default is that very first one, whatever the circumstances with family, with friends at a at work party at a restaurant um 
It doesn't matter. This is a this is like XXX with the skull and crossbones on it. And it's deathly dangerous to me because I'm an abnormal drinker. And I, I have a clear understanding today, which is very helpful uh, to understand the difference between a normal drinker at say a restaurant or a employee gathering holiday party versus an abnormal drinker. The normal drinkers are able to, you know, mingle and be festive and merry and take a couple sips and set it down and they could forget about it and leave it there on the table. You know, people like myself are looking at what they left, wondering if they're coming back to get it. And I, I would be the guy to pick it up. You know, I'd be that crazy monster that started the dynamite and it just goes into monstrous thing that doesn't stop and I can't control it. So, you know, Rich, short, I know you, I know you have a really good support, uh, support system. So you, you've been very successful about building, you know, people around you that know your story and are really, you know, applauding and for your sobriety. Do you guys find the rest of you, is, is that helpful to have people in your circle? So you might have to go to a work party and maybe one person knows that you're sober, right? H how do you guys do that? How, what are the strategies that you use when you have to go to a situation that might be, you know, maybe you feel a little over your head. H how, what strategies do you use? I would say, Dana, that the, the most dangerous place for me to be is in a situation where there is alcohol involved, where no one knows I'm an addict. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's where I'll, you know, my disease will, you know, oh, just this one time I'll get over, you know, like I'm, I'm a scammer, like, I'm a, like I'll scam myself. And it's like, if so very helpful for me to be both connected to sober people, but also be honest about who I am and what I am to some close, you know, people around me, that people know what my deal is. Um, it's when I'm posturing or trying to pretend I'm something that I'm not, that I'll get into trouble. Yeah, yeah. When I, when I got sober, I, I had not many friends left. <laughs> they were, I mean, it was because of my behavior as an alcoholic and also because they were dying far away, so. Um, I didn't have that. So most of my friends for many years now are sober people. And, but, and when I was working after I was in my second year of sobriety, I quit, I became a, a school teacher. So I didn't have to worry about being wined and dined <laughs> or going to a holiday party with an open bar. That just didn't happen. You know, they'd give us yeah. a slice of cake in the cafeteria or they'd go out for lunch, you know, and there it was easy you know, cause I've been sober for long enough to know that, you know, no, I'll just have a, a lemonade or something, you know, but uh, so that wasn't too, that wasn't a problem. Um, when you, you know, th this is something that I've, I, I always kind of, it's, it's a minefield, the holidays, because you have candy that's drenched in alcohol, cakes, pies, food sometimes is made with alcohol, right? So there's there's all these, kind of what Rich is saying, little dynamite everywhere. Mm -hmm. And you're trying to navigate through, you know, one of the things that I did 
uh, in, in early sobriety. And I still do this in business situations sometimes. Uh, when I'm in a business situation, sometimes, you know, somebody will just put a glass of wine right in front of you. And, you know, they don't know. They're, they're not thinking about it. They're, it's innocent enough. They're, they're not trying to hurt you. But they'll literally do that or they'll give you a gift and they'll say, hey, you should try this right now. This is really good, right? And it's, al it's alcohol-based. Um, you know, that whole self-obsession where we're always thinking about that other people, you know, are they, are, are they normal drinkers? Are they not normal drinkers? All that stuff in early sobriety how, how do you deal with that? How, how do you deal? Because really the reality is most people are not thinking about whether we're drinking or not, right? I, wouldn't you say that, Rich? Most people are not, you know, obsessed with whether we're going to take that drink or not. Absolutely. Normal, normal drinkers don't obsess and think about drinking. They, It's a very natural part of a consumption of a product, like a donut or food and my wife, for example, is a great teacher to me visually. I observe her as a normal drinker and I see how a normal drinker behaves. And I will just say one example would be she's feeling festive this holiday season. So she goes to Trader Joe's and comes home with a 12 pack of Blue Moon beer or something like that, right? And she cracks it open. <clears throat> She has one, maybe two, and then the box just ends up sitting there for weeks. And that is a normal drinker to me. And in fact, imagine if that was myself, you know, that box would have been mauled and emptied in a matter of hours. So it's, they, they're normal drinkers. And it's very key to understand and be clear in your mind and your heart and your soul what the difference is between a normal drinker and an abnormal drinker. And we don't think about it because they don't think about it. Uh, we do because it's life or death to some of us. It's danger to some of us of triggering a monstrous obsession that we can't stop. They can drink and hashtag walk away at any given moment and not think about it. So. Yeah. There's a, a half glass of beer on my kitchen table right now because my husband is a normal drinker. He can walk away from a drink, you know, and he has half a beer, but you know, what's also good is that, uh, you know, we met and I got, you know, in sobriety. So he had been affected by others drinking and went through a 12 step program for those people. So, he uh, he understands what my concerns are about alcohol, you know, that, you know, that I can't go anywhere near it. And if he suspects that there's some food for a restaurant, if there's tiramisu, under, you know, he always asks, he'll ask if there's alcohol in anything, which is, which is really nice. I mean, I have to do that, too. I can't rely on having somebody do that for me, but it's, it's good that he does that. Damon, I, I forgot to mention, I, I mentioned my wife and being a normal drinker. The fact that she feels comfortable today bringing home a six pack of beer. Um, in the beginning, she would not have anything and she would she could go the distance without ever, ever drinking again. And that's like, she would do that to support me, 
right? But I think she's in a place now where she feels very confident and very comfortable that I can cohabitate in an environment, you know, with, with alcohol in the house and not be in fear or worry. And that's a deep honor to me. And, um, you know, so I just I, wanted, yeah. I wanted to make that point that my supportive part, partner in life would be willing to never have any evidence of any alcohol in the entire property. If that's what it took to support me, you know, but it, at this point it's, it's not necessary. So I just wanted to say that's a testament to what I've learned with folks like yourself, you know, going down this path is that we can survive and we can cohabitate in these environments where there's just alcohol and booze everywhere and we don't have to fall prey to it anymore. And, it's and I think you have to know your limits too, right, Stephen? Like I know you're in social situations a lot where you might not know people. Maybe there's feelings, right? That maybe it's a business situation or it's a personal situation where you're meeting people for the first time and you're a little nervous about it. Like, you know, I, I know Rich talked about alcohol in the house and, you know, I'm surrounded by uh, boring drinkers. You know, I'm starting my life. I'm surrounded by people who are not alcoholics. And, you know, for me, um, it's very hard to like, people ask me what it's like to, you know, what, what is it like to be a, a, a normal drinker? And I'm like, I have no idea, right? I have no idea what it's like to be a normal drinker. So I don't, I, I only know what it's like to be an abnormal drinker. So, when you're around people, you have to know your limits too. There has been times in my life where I've had no alcohol in my house at all because I've, re I've requested that. And I always find that those little situations, when I hear about people who have gotten in big trouble during the holidays, it's little situations like they weren't feeling comfortable and that half a bottle, you know, that half of glass of beer was on, but they didn't want to tell anyone and they didn't want to reach out for help to their support group. And then the next thing they know, they're drinking that, you know, they're, they're drinking. How, you know, what's your thoughts on that, Stephen? How do you, how do you set it up? Do you have to kind of sometimes set up scenarios and be really good about your communication during the holidays? Yeah. I mean, funnily enough, I, when I was at the height of my drinking, a party or being at a restaurant was not, that was hell to me. Yeah. Drinking at a restaurant where I had to wait for a waiter to refresh my drink, that wasn't going to happen. I had two places I would drink. I would drink at a bar where I was belly up at the bar and had a personal relationship with the bartender, and that drink was never empty, or I would drink at home by myself. And it, so... And if I extrapolate that, like I can still be in touch with that piece where I'm like, I can be at a party and be like the going to the bar for, a, you know, the standing in line for a drink just does not appeal to me at all. You know, on, on any level, even the, the, and, and I don't, and I, and I, I am basically now surrounded in life with sober people. I don't, most except in the workplace um and they all know you know and and i have enough sober people in my life that um that that that's really helpful 
And then in terms of boundaries, in, in early sobriety, I was probably embarrassed to say, no, don't fill up my wine glass or don't, or just sort of not be walking around with a, a colored drink in my hand, you know, um, or a cocktail. Um, but I quickly sort of got to a place where it's like, I don't really give a, you know, it just, <laughs> you know, it's like Rich says, it's like those people, they don't, they're not paying attention to, to that they just aren't and if if there is someone who does pay attention to that and point out to me that it's i don't have a drink in my hand i can pretty much count on the fact that they probably got a problem yes you know yes. like if if they need me to have a drink so that they're comfortable i mean that's an al-anon issue but then, <laughs> yeah. but the the I, I just, I don't go for it. You know, like I'm, I, I, one of the blessings of having a little bit of time in sobriety is being able to navigate the world without this haunting feeling of, you know, alcohol or a hangover. And I, I um, but I do make decisions about where I'm going to go and when, and, and not, not just there, are, I don't have a list of places I will never go. I sort of base it on how I feel at any given time. You know, if I feel strong and, and I've got good sober support, great. If I don't, um, you know, I might take a pass. Jamie, I had to, I, I wanted to ask you that th this question. Mm -hmm. um, and Stephen just talked about feelings in, in early sobriety. Um, and, and I want to kind of leave people in this video, too, that may be watching this, that maybe they're in their first week and it's the holidays, the first couple of days. Mm -hmm. And they're thinking and they just went to an event and they're like, that was absolute hell and torture. I, I want people to know that if you keep with the program and you keep going in your recovery, that's not always going to be like that. Right. Your feelings yeah. about going out and entertaining and mm -hmm. seeing will change. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. I mean, there were times when I thought I would go to a party and then the last time I realized, no, there's going to be too much drinking. Other substances are going to be involved. And I just said no. And uh, and then I also learned some tips. Like one time I had to go to a wedding. It was a co-worker. We were really... And, and someone gave me this tip, you know, because I was all worried about when they would come around for the toast, for the champagne. And someone said, turn your glass upside down. Brilliant, you know, there's all these simple things we can do. And, uh, you know, I knew someone who helped me early, early on sobriety and at work situation, she would tell people, oh, I'm allergic to alcohol. I mean, you tell somebody you're allergic to shrimp or peanuts, you know, you can tell them you're allergic to anything and they'll probably leave you alone unless they really have a problem with it. I also found, because I mentioned, I, I enjoy the holidays, is I would invite people to my home. I would make, you know, I would make a plan because then I wouldn't have to worry about dread being alone and worried about whether I'd, I'd want to have a drink or not. But, uh, but I would surround myself with, with people who were sober and that's a huge way of getting through. Rich, um, what are, what, what are your, how has your feelings changed from early sobriety to now years of sobriety regarding the holidays and, you know, the feeling of uncomfortableness yeah, the uh, the what I've learned is <clears throat> those those first couple of years, I still had a 
I'm a, I'm a person that really enjoys traditions in, in our holidays. And the holiday time is, the, is like the longest extension. Like July 4th, that's a, a one weekend or one, di- one and done kind of event. St. Patrick's Day, same thing, a one and done. But the holidays kind of is, it's kind of starts right before leading up to Thanksgiving. And then the stores are all decked out like weeks before. And so you're already in the mindset of holidays. And it's like a month long stretch of just saturation of festivity and all this stuff on overdrive. And it's everywhere. It's on TV commercials. It's on the internet. It's in your email inbox. It's everywhere. And um, those were the most difficult in the first couple of years because I still learned that I had this a massive emotional attachment to the holidays, particularly what it means, you know, the gift giving and, and the racking up a bunch of money to get a bunch of gifts for a bunch of people and planning it all out. And, you know, it's an intense time of mental stuff and you get consumed by it. And, and, um, what I just have come to realize over the years is, but back to my reference of, in my mind, I have visuals. Um, going through the holiday stretch, in particular, I just now envision the, the big DVR in the sky that's report, recording my life. You can call it your higher power or whatever, or just the imaginary DVR in the sky recording my life. and. Whenever I get into a situation and, and the hamster wheel starts spinning, just fast forward it. I fast forward the DVR to see what it looks like at the end. And that usually calms me immediately because me being wheeled out of a casino on a stretcher or, you know, uh, my suitcases being on the front yard, you know, or the, the wife and kids up and, and flying away and leaving me because they can't take living with the monster. You know, I just fast forward the tape now. What would this look like if I did this? What my alcoholic is thinking. And usually it's a total train wreck at the end. And so that's my best tip that I can give anyone that helps me tremendously is the moment I have a, a thought creep into my mind, looking at a tower of booze in a store, especially out here in Las Vegas. I was at a casino last night. In the first five feet, you walk in and you see a bar here, a bar there. You're just, it's the devil's den, right? And I just fast forward the tape and just say, they're carrying me out on a stretcher in about two hours. And my family leaves me. And then the last thing I'll leave you with is also remember, there's always the day after. So, Imagine the mess of going through that night, think doing what you're thinking, you know, consuming as many drinks as possible. Because that's what we do. We go to oblivion, right? We don't just have a couple sips and then we're done. Imagine the morning after going to taking a trip to oblivion and that feeling like Stephen was referring to is waking up with that hangover of death. Families in shambles, everything's ruined, and it was all for something that happened last night that's no longer there. It's done. Yeah. yeah. Those are really, that's a really good, that's a really good visualization tip. And, you know, I wanted to end this real quick with everybody telling a quick, maybe just a quick 
little story about maybe a nightmare situation that was maybe a close call in early sobriety that <laughs> you navigated out of and how you navigated out of it successfully uh, using the things that you've, that, that, that you've learned in recovery. Jamie, could you share I, anything with us or, I, or a last tip? I've picked up the wrong glass. At a, uh, you know, I picked up, thought it was my cup of coffee and it had Sambuca, had something in it. And, you know, I just ran to the closest sink and spat it out. And, 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 you know, and that was it, you know, so, um, and I've, I think I've did that one other time at a, where I realized I had to mark my glass because there weren't a lot it was at a, at a family wedding. And, and that, that's been it. That's been it for me. Stephen, what about you? Um, you know, most of the nightmares have to do with when I was drinking, but I will say that the times when I've been in situations and I'm in social situations and I most wanted to drink, the flip side of what Rich and I are describing about the hellish hangover is that the next morning, if you wake up sober, the feeling of, you know, like for me, alcohol is, I am powerless. It is disempowering. But to wake up the next morning and be sober is truly an empowering, you know, feeling. And it, you know, I've never, I've had plenty of regrets for drinking and woke up the next morning and lived in those regrets. I've never woken up the next morning and regretted not drinking ever. Mm -hmm. That, that is really great. That's really great. It's just, you have to think about that next day. And I could tell you, if you compile a lot of those next days, the urge to be able to drink or get into that bad situation isn't, it really does evaporate. It does. It does. Rich, can you leave us with a, a situation that you were in and how you successfully got out of it? Yes. In my early sobriety, particularly the first year, I, I quickly learned how driven by emotions I was. And I didn't understand this part of who I was and what made me tick and what made me do the things that I do. And I will leave you with the picture of a swinging pendulum of emotions. On one end is anger, pure anger. And on the other end is that scene from the Titanic at the front of the boat. I'm on top of the world, right? And so whenever I was quickly swinging to one side or the either or, the, either or of the pendulum of the emotional spectrum in that place of extreme anger, society, life, room, they're trying to get me and to keep me down. The man's after me, someone wronged me, whatever the reason that triggers intense anger. I had to pick up the phone and call. And in this case, it was my, you know, my, my Yoda. I call him my, my Jedi Yoda and say, I am being over. The gates are being overrun by my feelings here and I can't go to the liquor store to solve it. I know that won't happen. And then the opposite, the same is true for when you are feeling so on top of the world and jovial and you are the in control of everything in your life and everything's going smooth and silky and the money's in the bank or you know, you've got a big break, whatever. That's the place where fantasy land kicks in, right? 
And then we just lose all track of what we have been working towards our goals and we go in, we start operating in fantasy land. And that is a disaster in itself. So I don't want to go to disaster to fantasy island. I don't want to go there. And I don't want to go to a troll, grumpy troll under a bridge yelling at everybody walking by. So the key is to try to find your place in the middle and keep that pendulum from swinging less. And over time, that's what happens. Our emotional pendulums go like a wide arcing spread to a, a little swing. I like what you said, you know, and we're going to leave everybody with this is that if you are feeling overwhelmed, reaching out, I think everybody would agree, reaching out to somebody else in recovery is going to be probably the quickest solution to your problem. Instant solution. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd like to thank everybody. This has been an amazing Recovered Life panel. And thank you so much for your wisdom. And I want to wish everybody a happy holidays. Thank you. Thanks, David. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Jamie. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free, and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.